0: From Local 12 Sports, it's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Poe 3 Edition. I'm Richard Skinner, local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. It's presented, as always, by Blake, the attorney Mazelin. We talk about sports topics of local interest. We got, I don't even really think we got a national topic. We may, with, we may touch on Dion and his crazy team. Still, we seem to touch on that every week. We got a gambling segment. We'll pick some games against the point spread. And, of course, my favorite segment of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic. Just hit up the hashtag Ask Skinny Anything. Rick, we're doing this a day early. It's a wonky Bengals week. Usually we save this podcast for Thursday, but the Bengals are off on the day we're doing this podcast because they play on Monday night, so hence it gives us a little bit of time today to do it. It unfortunately comes as the Reds are getting ready to play the rubber game against the Minnesota Twins, but we'll certainly talk some Reds as well, but I know as always we've got a lot to get to this time of year.
0: Yeah, I did check out before we started this podcast and it appears that the sky has not fallen just yet skinny, so uh, we're good to go for at least another 24 hours, I believe, or, or at least an hour to get this podcast in. That's right. But the Bengals are 0-2, Skinny. They lost to the Ravens 27-24 to on Sunday. Joe Burrow said he retweaked his calf injury during the game. He was seen limping off the field after it was over. And now his status appears to be up in the air for Monday Night Football against the Rams this week. So here's what I want you to do. Rank these concerns in order from most concerning to least concerning after the Bengals' Week 2 loss against the Ravens. Okay. All right, I always like these, these things. Yeah, we start with Joe Burrow's play is number one. Two is Joe Burrow's injury. Three is Zach Taylor slash Brian Callahan's play calling. And four is the defense as a whole. Rank those from most concerning to least concerning.
1: So this is funny. So most concerning is clearly Joe Burrow's calf injury because that compromises everything. And that's where the one I'm going to give you least concerning is going to piss everybody off. They're all going to disagree with it, but I'm going to give you my reasonings for it when we get to it. So that that to me is, is most concerning. Second is the defense but I don't think this is a, a deep hole they can't dig out of, to be honest with you. And I think there's some mitigating circumstances for that. I'll go back to all of these. Third would be Joe Burrow's performance. Actually, third will yeah, be Joe Burrow's performance, but I think it's tied to the calf. And I do think as the game went on on Sunday before he tweaked it, they got into a real good rhythm. I mean, the last drive of the first half... The interception aside, that was a good drive up until the interception. And then after that, a couple more scoring drives. So they it was kind of like the Dallas game last year. Remember the first game, he was terrible. The first half of Dallas, they were terrible. Then they kind of found out what they were. And from that point forward, the offense started to make strides and finally hit a big-time stride. So that's third. And the last one is the play calling. And I know that's the one that, that everybody's probably wringing their hands at. I know it's Jamar Chase saying, take more deep shots. But i got to tell people, and you have to understand this, there's a couple of things. Number one, they're calling these plays, designing these plays the first two weeks, completely with Joe Burrow's calf injury in mind. It's why he has the highest rated getting out of his hands that he's ever had in NF- since he's been in the NFL. It's not because the offensive line sucks. It's not because they don't trust them. It's because they don't want him to feel any pressure whatsoever in the pocket. So when Jamar Chase clamors for more go routes, and I fully get it. I do. I understand his point to a point, and I think he does too, which I thought he'd be a little smarter than that, but I, I get it. Um, he, want, he wants to be more involved in the offense, and part of his thing is getting downfield. They don't want Joe Burrow to have to hold it an extra half a second to a second longer. It's not an indictment on the offensive line, but listen, if you're going to drop back and, and and take those deep middle shots or take those deep shots or have Joe scan the field you know, for progression three or progression four – Eventually in the NFL defensive lines, no matter how good your offensive line is, they're going to get through. They're going to hit your quarterback. The good part is maybe they hit your quarterback after he throws it, but they don't even want that at this point. They don't want anybody around him. And in this last game, Burrow got it out of his hands in record time. He was only hit five times. He wasn't sacked once. I don't know if that tells you the offensive line was great, but they did their job in the time they were asked to do it. But the way they're designing things right now is completely with that calf injury in mind. They're trying to protect him and protect it. And so you can point the finger at those guys, and they're easy targets. I get it. But at the end of the day, they're doing this, not because they're idiots, because they're trying to protect their quarterback.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that, People have a hard time understanding, and even going back to last year, it's amazing how similar the start last year is to the start this year. There are so many parallels to be drawn, and what I'm surprised by is, and I'm not trying to just be Pollyanna like, oh, look, they they overcame 0-2 last year to make the postseason, and everything was fine by the end of the year. Don't, don't worry. It's going to be that way again. I understand. You can't just keep saying that, especially no, when you I, have, I'm, and I'm with you. Absolutely, absolutely right. When you have Super Bowl aspirations, you don't want to start the season. zero and two. That's not OK. And absolutely. Everybody should look inside at themselves in the Bengals organization at the start and say this was a failure. Whatever happened here was a failure, and a lot of it is probably due to Joe Burrow's injury, and that's fine, but this has been a failure, and they should look into fixing this, whether that has to do with how they handle the preseason or the types of plays they are calling for the first two weeks because it is – I mean, I literally went back and looked at our notes from last year for the same podcast we did the second week of the season after they started 0-2 – And wait a minute, what are you, Lance McAllister with your note sheets? Well, I just, we have a couple of these little prompts here, right? A question or two for you. And exactly what we were talking about was, you know, not taking shots downfield, how much are you questioning the play calling, all these types of things. And I think there is an aspect of the injury is certainly part of it, but I also think there is a part of this that the same things we talked about last year, which is that. They probably don't take enough shots with the talent that they have, at least early on. They started to do that more last year as the season went on, and it worked for them. And two, I think Joe, his own mind has to sometimes be a little more um, willing to take chances. He is, at times, he's willing to become check down Joey, and he just wants to dig and dunk. And there's times where it's like, look, man, if you got Jamar Chase in a tight window between your arm and Jamar's Chase's athletic ability, sometimes you just got to do the F at Jamar's down there somewhere strategy yeah. and throw it up for him, let him make a play. Yeah. I do think there's validity to that without calling Zach Taylor's play calling into question and without saying they need to get Zach Taylor out of this role and, and move on to somebody else. I think both of those things can be true.
1: Yeah, I, I saw this stat. I didn't use it in a story and I wish I had because I, I tied some of all the what we're talking about together in a couple of stories that column after the game and then uh, some stuff off of Zach Taylor's press conference on Monday tied to Burroughs injury. I believe the other part to this too, and this is tied to, I put Joe's performance at three and I put it ahead of the play calling. I believe on any pass play that he's thrown it over 20 yards downfield in the first two games, he's 0 for 12. So that's 12 shots at 20 plus yards that you've either been called or tried to execute. He ain't executed either.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Well, and, and you know, even going back to the last game, which I think your point about they started to find a rhythm and get going a little bit has been completely overlooked by a lot of people. Yes, A lot of people are acting like this has been a complete disaster for all eight quarters. And that's this hell. Even if you go back to the first quarter of the, the, the last game, he threw a really nice deep ball to Irv Smith that Irv Smith didn't get his foot down. If he gets that second foot down on third down, they might go down and score on that drive. And then everything looks a little bit differently because they had that early scoring drive and they maybe even win that game. So uh, yes, Joe Burrow has struggled. Yes, the injury is a problem. Yes, I question the play calling at times and think they could probably do better and have seen them do better. But at the same time, I don't think this has been nearly the disaster that everyone else seems to think it has been, at least for the last two plus quarters. And everything you come back to comes back to his calf injury. Literally everything you come back to yeah so with that being said including his performance yeah completely so with that being said how much different would you look at this team and where it's at right now if Joe Burrow's calf injury wasn't an issue
1: um I'll be honest with you I think if it wasn't an issue I think they win this last game to be honest with you I really do um I I think you know even the throw that the Geno Stone made the interception at the goal line it it was a good play by Stone. He did a pretty good job. And and to be honest with you, he missed Jamar on a corner route on that play, but he had, I mean, you make the read you make and you make the decision you make. And he really didn't drive into that throw either. Now, I don't even know if he'd have driven into that throw, if it would have made any difference whatsoever, because Geno Stone was standing right there for the pick, but you know, even some of those throws, he's not driving into them. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I still come back to the whole calf thing and, and, I just, they're in such a rock and a hard place because now you're literally, I don't call them, it is, it's must win if you want to go by the stats of what 0 and 3 means if you're going to make the playoffs. So you're kind of in must win mode, but you're also, in if this is going to linger for weeks to come and weeks to come and weeks to come, do you just shut it down and go, hey man, if we can get through the bye week and win a couple of these games and be two and four and have a fully healthy Joe Burrow for the last 11, could you go? you know, seven and four, eight and three, eight and three would get you to 10 and seven. And is that enough to get you a wild card berth? It probably is. It's not perfect because we, you know, the whole strive was striving for the one seed. But if this is going to go on and on and on, at what point do you put his future health at risk with all of this? I, I I think this is an important press conference on Thursday from both Joe and Zach, just to see where are we at with this thing and, and where do we go moving
0: forward with it? Well, I know it's impossible to know without Knowing exactly where he's at in terms of his injury and how bad it is, but what would be your decision? Would you, I'd shut him down, sit him down right now, yeah, assuming it's up. something that's definitely lingering and definitely affecting him.
1: Yeah, I mean, for him to say, I mean, I, I don't know if you listened to his press conference after I did. Yeah. I read some, I mean, he sounded despondent. Did he not? I mean, he sounded like, man, this. I'm hurt, and I'm trying to play through this. And he admitted it's sore. And for Zach on Monday to admit a couple of things to us without really. Divulge, it. and he doesn't know. Listen, they are going to give it these days, and hopefully, after these, you know, three days of, of rest, and as Joe said, I need some rest and some sleeps, and to come back and, and keep getting treatment, and maybe it does somehow get a thousand times better. I, I don't believe that's going to be the case based on the history of this thing. Um, but for then Zach to say the next day he's sore when he's asked how's he feeling today, he's still sore. Um, think he's going to play Monday night? Can't tell you right now. Not sure right now. Don't know. Um, you know that's not exactly a ringing endorsement. I realize it's a week out from the game when he said those things. But this is something that's gone on since July
0: 27th, right? And it just keeps reoccurring and reoccurring and reoccurring. Well, that's the thing that is so surprising about this is I was completely wrong. Like when we got up to the week before the first game, I was under the impression that Joe Burrow was completely fine. So was I. More of this injury was about him getting the contract signed and and completed before he put himself at risk again, since there was so much money and like. Do you remember the quotes from Joe and the coaching staff about he's spitting the ball as well as he's ever has? It's jumping out of his finger. He looks completely healthy. He's been working out like a madman. I'm not listening to a damn thing. These people say anymore at all. I understand. It's not their job to like tell us where Joe Burrow is at and, and give us insight into that. They, they want to keep it hidden from future opponents because they're all paranoid and all that. But I mean, it's crazy to think that the week before the season, I was under the impression that this is not a concern at all. It's not a real injury. He's just getting the contract done, and he's completely healthy, too. Now we're here after week two talking about, do you sit him for a few more games, or do you continue to let him play on an injured leg? I'd also like to know, Skinny, when did the retweak occur? Because if you go back early in the second half, it might have even been like the first play of the second half. There's a play where there's some pressure coming in. Joe leaps over a defensive end gets over top of him and then makes a pretty darn good throw um, downfield where I'm at that point while I'm watching the game live, I'm thinking, oh, good. He's back. He's moving around. He just jumped over somebody. He's healthy. And he did make some really good throws in the second half of that game, even though everyone acts like it was a disaster. I'm wondering when did the retweak occur? Because clearly at the end of the game, he was not moving around well and he was limping around. But I didn't see that Early in the third quarter. Yeah, he, he I mean, he said it occurred on the next
1: to the last pass play that he that he threw. Okay. That's when he really hurt it. Now he might have tweaked it enough for a little bit of pain, but not to the point where he started hobbling again on it like he did when that day he got hurt in, in training camp. That came on the next to last pass play to Jamar Chase. There was actually a pass before that. I saw a replay of it where he was hobbling around then. So maybe it started to grab at him and then the next to last pass, it really grabbed at him. And then the last pass he threw to T for the touchdown. He didn't have to really do a whole lot. He just had to get it out of his hands. It probably still hurt when he planted and all those things. You know, I I asked Brian Callahan the Monday after Cleveland to the point you were bringing up, um, because that's all we were told was the two weeks leading up looking great, spinning it great, accurate, all the things you expect out of him. And, um, you know, then it was the contract sign. It felt like, all right, man, everything's right with the world. So then the Monday after the Cleveland game, I I asked Brian, I I mean, was there any indication in those two weeks leading up? And he said, absolutely not. He goes, I'm I'm trying to be as honest with you as I can. No, I didn't see any of that stuff. So maybe they didn't. You know, maybe in Cleveland, it was all weather related and, and his, you know, him not being able to plant on wet surface, all those things. This past week, that wasn't the case. He heard it again. And so here we are. We're literally feels like we're back at square one on July 27th. And what do you do with this injury now?
0: Well, and that's the other concerning thing, because like you said, it's been two months now. I mean, a, a calf injury, a calf strain like this, usually you think it's not that big of a deal. And he took an entire month off with it. So you, that's the problem. They do linger. And now you start wondering, is there is there more at risk? Do you have to worry about an Achilles or something else with things being weak down there and him overcompensating? So I don't know. I mean, as, as much as I want to say he needs to be out there and they need to win these next two games, I also kind of get your point about, you know, if you can beat two and four and the long hearth, long-term health of Joe Burrow is certainly much more impor- important than just winning these next two games and maybe even this season as a whole – maybe you do have to sit him. I mean, what what is your expectation? Do you think he plays on Monday night at this point, or is it just absolutely no clue?
1: Yeah, I wish I could give you an answer to that. I, I honestly, I don't think we're gonna know in any way, shape or form until we hear what he says tomorrow about how it feels and 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 what they think the training staff can do with it. I, I think that's that's the line of demarcation is is let's let's wait and see to hear what he says then. Um, I wish I could be more definitive. I just can't because I'm not we' they've been off for two days. Um, I, I just get worried when he was that despondent talking about how much it was sore and the coach the next day says it's still sore. Well, again, this isn't just some new injury that creeped up. This is something that keeps getting retweaked. And it's funny, you know, as much as I'm, I'm, I I think Jamar chase, I, like I said, I get why he wants go balls. It's what he does best, right? It's, it's he's so good at it. And I think he's wrong. You know, maybe he was right. We kind of laughed at the sitting for five games, man. And the other day he kind of doubled down and said, Hey, should have done this from jump street. Just
0: saying, He did say that to begin and we all thought like, what is he talking? What is Jamar talking about that Joe's supposed to be back in a week or two before the season even starts. And then now we're sitting here and it's like, damn, maybe Jamar had this peg from the get go, or maybe he knew it was actually something a little bit more serious. Maybe Skinny, I guess the other question is thinking that Burrow could be up in the air. Can the Bengals win without him? Is there a possibility that they can beat the Rams on Monday night football? If Joe Burrow doesn't play?
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to, you know, very much tailor the offense to what Jake Browning's strengths are, and some of that's getting it out of his hands quickly. Um, I was going to say, do we probably, know
0: what Jake Browning's strengths?
1: Are? <laughs> well, he, he can probably create a, a whole lot more than Joe can with his legs right now. So I think you you probably maybe even put a couple design runs in for him. Remember the Monday night game with Ryan Finley? You know, they you did some read option stuff with him. Put a few. I, I don't think you do it a ton but I think that's probably part of the part of the program. He can extend plays a little more than Joe can right now, probably can get out of the pocket and get you some stuff in scrambles, which, let's face it, with Aaron Donald bearing down on you, you better be able to do that, right? I mean, he, he, you don't want to be in a Geno Smith, oh, my God, situation where he's bearing down on you. Um, and then I think you lean on the running game more. The, the goofy part is they haven't been able to run it as much as as maybe they would like because of the way the games have gone. And you could argue maybe they should have run it more. But really, I'll be honest, through the first two games, I think Joe Mixon's run the ball very, very well. Uh, making guys miss, running through tackles, being decisive, all the things you want. So maybe you do say, hey, listen, we're going to run it 30 times. If Joe Burrow's healthy, we're letting him throw it 40 times and we're going to run it 20. But without him, maybe it's more of a 34-26 split, 34 rushes to 26 pass attempts. And you... You hope your defense does um, take a step forward, and I think they will. It's just too many guys back that have done too much good ball for this club to to get pushed around. Um, And you try to win games 19-17.
0: Yeah, talking about the defense for a second, because we did bring that up in the original question. We didn't spend much time on it there. Um, What is the biggest issue with the defense right now, in your opinion? Is it just not getting pressure up front, especially up the middle?
1: Yeah, that's the disappointing part is listen, this defensive line's been paid pretty damn handsomely. Trey Hendrickson, DJ Reader's free agents, BJ Hill after they 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 traded for him, Sam Hubbard's gotten extended. Those guys need to be better. Um, and and Luana has said as much, and I think they know as much, too. I mean, they, they DJ Reader said it after the game as much. Um, you know, listen, the first two games they, they got run on for almost 380 yards combined. You can argue a chunk of those are Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson scrambles where you'd like to contain them better, but they both are terrific scrambling quarterbacks. And so I don't, you can't take that out of the equation, but then you got to look at, but even if you look at just straight rushes, I mean, in this last game, it was a couple of third and twos or third and ones where they said, here comes Gus Edwards, guys. you think you can stop him with our backup practice squad center and our backup left tackle? Well, you sure couldn't because they pushed you right off the damn football. You know, some of it, Lou talked about run fits. One of them, you know, Jordan battles in for Nick Scott and he said, One play, Jordan is the guy. He's the free runner. He's right in the hole, and he all of a sudden thought it was going to be a pass play, and so he's not in the hole, and he goes, got to make that tackle. And so some of it's just a little bit off because of a couple of new guys, and maybe we can argue that they do miss Von Bell a ton. I I think, again, though, a lot of this starts up front. That group has to get it done better, and I think
0: it will because it's done it before. Yeah, I mean, the running thing is definitely a concern, but part of that with the pass rush is – is it that you are playing quarterbacks who are so dangerous with their legs that you're worried about not letting them bit. get outside, and you're worried about keeping contained? Because it seemed like they were just really uh, passive in terms of their pass rush. They they didn't seem to be pinning their ears back. They didn't seem to try to be aggressively beating their man around the edge. It seemed like they were kind of just trying to stay uh, keep contained, I guess on on uh uh not not Deshaun Watson as much, but Jackson. Both, on Jackson, yeah, yeah, yeah. On both.
1: Um, yeah, it, it, I, I don't know if they if, if they use that specifically in this game, but it's called cage rush, where you try to literally cage the guy in and you don't give many escape routes. Well, that's easier said than done with Lamar. I mean, he still is ridiculous. I know they didn't use him on as many design runs as we've seen in the past. That's kind of what they're trying to evolve into. But that still doesn't mean the dude isn't dangerous with his feet. I mean, he still is as dangerous as it gets when he gets you in space. He can make you look silly. I mean, one play. Nick Scott literally on one play
0: blitzed and missed the tackle twice on him on one play. <laughs> I know. I know. I will say that performance by Lamar Jackson, it was a reminder of why he's a former league MVP. He yeah. he was really good in that game. Now, part of it might've been because the Bengals weren't getting enough pressure on him and he had plenty of time to do whatever he wanted back there when he was throwing the ball. But I mean, throwing, running, just diagnosing things when they needed it most. He, he made a lot of big plays in that game. I, I was super impressed by Lamar Jackson. He looked like the guy who won the MVP four years ago.
1: Yep. He sure did. I, I again, my only reason for picking Baltimore nine and eight in my prediction column was, if he gets hurt, it really compromises them. And at some point, even if they're trying to limit his runs, if he's going to scramble eight or nine times a game, he's gonna get popped at some point.
0: Yeah, or get hit from behind and fumble the ball in key moments, as yeah, correct. You did in this game as well. Uh real quick on the Rams, they smacked the Seahawks thirty to thirteen and then they played the 49ers tough thirty to twenty-three in a loss last week. Do you thank, think by the way, thank thank you, Sean McVay. Thank you. <laughs> Yes, that helped you. Do you think they're better than people expected coming into the year, given that a lot of people are talking about they're tanking to to try to get Caleb Williams?
1: Yeah, I still think they're compromised. I mean, the Puka Nakua thing is the craziest thing I've ever seen in a long time. The wide receiver comes out of nowhere and catches all these balls. Um, and, you know, listen, when Matthew Stafford's healthy, he he's as good as it gets. You know, his problem's been health and the occasional turnover. He threw a bad one against San Francisco, too. He he somehow gets bug bit by just trying to force balls into coverage because he's got such arm talent. So I, I, they're probably better than I think, but it's clearly a beatable team at home, even even without Joe Burrow. It certainly made easier with a healthy Joe Burrow. Um, but, yeah, I, I, this, this would be disappointing even without Joe Burrow if the defense didn't rise up and you didn't make enough plays to beat this team.
0: Yeah. Well, like you said, even with Jake Browning out there, their defense is so inexperienced and they've been playing above their level through the first two weeks. Don't get me wrong. They've they've had two games that were better than I think anyone expected on defense, especially. But that defense is so inexperienced and just a ragtag group of new players, no continuity at all. You would hope that you can get the running game going at least and move the ball somewhat against them, even if it's Jake Browning. Yeah. Yeah, And shorten the game. I mean, instead of, you know, I
1: know Zach talked about this with, with Baltimore. It's true. I mean, if you look at that first quarter, it's the clear worst case scenario where Baltimore has shortened the game. They've gone down and used a bunch of clock. You went three and out, thanks in part to a holding penalty. You had the ball a couple of times and got 14 yards in the first quarter because you only ran six offensive plays. That's the, so you need to flip the script if, if, if it's Jake Browning quarterbacking and not Joe Burrow. And
0: maybe even need to do that if it is Joe Burrow and lean more on the running game, too. Now We'll come back to that game and give you our picks here in just a second with our Pick'Em segment. But first, let's move on to the Reds. They have just nine games left in the regular season, including the one that they're about to play here in an hour as we're recording this on Wednesday morning. They are currently one game back of the Cubs for the National League's third wild card spot. They also have the Marlins a half game ahead of them. The Reds have a game against the Twins today, three against the Pirates at Great American Ballpark over the weekend, and then back-to-back games against the Guardians in Cleveland, uh, and three in St. Louis against the Cardinals then to wrap it up. So, Skinny, I guess there's – we've kind of hit on this. Are they going to make it? Are they not? Do they have enough pitching? Do they not? All of those types of things. But the big storyline that seems to be coming up this week, and just before we go on air here, I see the the lineup came out for today, and lo and behold – It did not include Ellie De La Cruz. He's hitting just 170 during the month of September. Out of his nine hits this month, just one of them was an extra base hit, a double. And he was 0 for 7 combined the last two nights. I was going to ask you coming into this podcast, would you consider sitting Ellie De La Cruz at all for this stretch run? It looks like David Bell certainly has considered as he is going to sit him today. How much are you willing to sit Ellie De La Cruz? Or do you feel like he needs to be out there?
1: be honest with you, if Matt McClain comes back as he's expected to come back, um, I'm not sure Ellie starts the rest of the year. I know that sounds stupid because um, of, of the potential and what you think of him and what he eventually – I still think eventually will eventually be. This reminds me a lot of Eric Davis when he came up as, as a rookie, and it, he felt like he, he either hit a ball 500 feet, stole two bases when he got on, stole second and stole third, or struck out three times in a game. I mean, it just was feast or famine, and then he finally – started to get at the injury history aside when Eric Davis was healthy and right in Eric Davis's prime, there was maybe no better offensive weapon in all of baseball, 40 home run power and 80 stolen base season, all those things. And honestly, you could see that from LA one day, to be honest with you. But I just think right now from a psyche perspective, and because you're trying to win games, um, you got to put your best guys out there And right now. Your best guys on the infield would be India at second McLean at short, um, and, and Noel Noelve Marte at third base, and then whatever mix and match where you want to put Spencer Steer and Encarnacion Strand from a first-base DH perspective, all those things. And no offense, Ellie doesn't fit in the mix. Now, that also gives you a, a weapon with legs off the bench late in the game, too, if worse comes to worse. And, you know, maybe that's the best-case scenario for him right now is, listen – um you know, we're we're trying to win and you're struggling and maybe you're pressing because of all those things. I mean, they've they've moved him all. Remember, we came up, he was hitting cleanup for a while, then the leadoff, and now to ninth, and they just can't, he just can't get anything going. So I'm still bullish on L.A. Daniel Cruz's future. There's too many tools there not to be, but when you're trying to win games and he's not getting it done and it's just going to compound things, maybe mentally for him,
0: just stop. There is part of me, though, that says, the way they got to this point was not just Ellie McClain and some of the other young guys are certainly a big part of this. Friedel's has a, but they have those moments where Ellie does something special or they, you know, that you're running all around the bases. You're doing crazy things. You're getting the other like they haven't won games in conventional methods necessarily. And they haven't won games by just hitting the ball out of the ballpark and being great hitters at the plate all the time. So there is part of me that feels like Ellie brings a little bit of that magic to this group because of his athletic ability, because of what he can do on the bases. Now, maybe the answer is just you use him in whatever you feel like your best running situation is every game. Exactly. You sub I mean, him yeah. in whenever you feel like you got the guy on second base and you need to get him in and it's an important moment. But and if he has you to use him for.
1: Yeah, and if he has to stick in for an at-bat, that's all well and good. If the at-bat comes back, that's the seventh inning of a game and you're, you know he's going to have to come up again, that, okay, fine. Yeah. But I think right now, four at-bats for him in a game, he's lost. And it's not going it, to, I don't think he's going to fix itself right now at this point. It's just not.
0: I'm kind of with you on that. And I'm well, but like the people who think it's, you know, forget about Ellie Daily Cruz for the rest this year. I would not agree with that. I would be trying to figure out a way to get him in almost every game. Maybe give him today off, sure. maybe give him tomorrow off. Kind yeah, of get I his mind right and reset. And then after that, he's he's every game you're finding a way to get him in off the bench.
1: Well, I'm with, I'm with that today, Rick. I'm just saying I wouldn't put him as a starter at the moment. You know, Marte's proven himself at the moment. I mean, honestly, between Marte and McLean from a solid perspective, the, sky, the, the ceiling for Ellie is. I can't even reach the ceiling of where that could go, right? We can't do that. McLean and Marte look to me like they're going to be every day solid major league players for 10 to 12 to 15 years, however long they're able to play. And they're going to do a lot of things and do a lot of things the right way. Ellie's going to mess up in the field at times, but he's also going to turn from short center field on a relay throw and gun a guy down at the plate. And you're just going to go ooh and ah and wow. And he's going to do all of those things. Um, So, yeah, to me, right now, when you're trying to win, McLean and Marte give you the better chance to win. Yeah. Providing McLean comes back
0: healthy. And and I will say, you know, like Marte is playing well right now and he does look like he's going to be good. It's also been a month, you know? And and right now that's all that matters because you're trying to win just this week. So you've got to go with him. But I just mean like, this is the whole point I tried to make earlier this year when everyone was talking about you need to start trading away some of these prospects to to get pitching to win right away. It's like, we don't know which ones are going to be good long-term yet. It takes a while. You go up and down when you're young and sometimes the, the opponents figure you out and you flop after that. And sometimes you figure them out and you respond and you grow up and you get better as you go on. So I think we're still learning that about some of these young guys for the Reds, Ellie included. And and this is why you, you couldn't give up on any of those young guys. It, a couple it,
1: months it ago. is interesting. A couple of Fridays ago on the segment, I do a regular segment in the afternoon on Fridays with, with Eddie and Rocky, although Rocky's not doing it this time of year he's doing college football. And the question was what came up. Uh, Jason Williams was, was co-hosting that day of, you know, what do the Reds need to do over the final, you know, three weeks here at this point, I said, just keep winning series. You don't have to do anything special. And it's funny because that's what they're kind of – I mean, if they beat the Twins today, they win this series. They won the Mets series. They won the Tiger series. And it feels like all these teams chasing each other, they're all doing the same thing, which is strange. I thought at least one or two of them would somehow fall off, and really the Giants are about the only ones that feel like they have.
0: Well, and I know – Yeah, when we're talking a sample size of like nine games, the variance for major league teams, like even the worst major league team versus the best major league team, it's hard to get a bunch of separation based off of your strength of schedule or anything. But if you are looking for an advantage, the Reds have an easier slate, as we just talked about down the stretch, playing teams like the Pirates and the Guardians and the Cardinals as opposed to the Cubs, who have to go to Atlanta and have to go to Milwaukee to finish off their season. So, again, I don't think that makes a huge difference when you're talking a nine-game sample size, but it's not nothing. No, it's not nothing. You're right. Exactly. All right. Anything else on the Red Skinny before we move on to some college football talk?
1: No. i a, I'm, I'm hoping they make the playoffs. I think it'll be so much fun for this team. What an accomplishment, even if they flame out. I mean, that, that's yeah. such a great step. Even if they don't, it's still, it's still a great step. But I do like this stat. I, if they make the playoffs, it's possible they do so without a 10-game winner. And I, I wonder how many teams have ever made the playoffs without somebody winning 10 games. And I know people, wins are not the stat that mark pitchers anymore, but that just feels odd to
0: me, right? But, but 10, 10 wins is right. still, you feel like if you have a good pitcher over the course of the season, he gets 10 wins. He something. gets 10 wins. Yeah. said so yeah. Ian Jabot is going to vulture 10 wins probably. He's going to be the leader. <laughs> uh, I'm just hoping Matt McClain comes back next week. I do too. If, yes. if that happens, it does feel like they have more of a
1: chance. A, a healthy Matt McClain playing the game the way he's capable of playing it showed us is I think a big, big deal.
0: Yeah. A punch in the arm when, when they need it most. Yep. All right. College football. We'll start with the big game of the week story locally here, Miami of Ohio, the fighting Jed Demuse's come out and they upset UC 31 to 24. The Bearcats now have to host Oklahoma this Saturday. Skinny. What are your thoughts on the Bearcats and Scott Satterfield after a home loss to the Red Hawks? I
1: mean, it's disappointing. Number one, I let's, let's, point blank state that for a fact, but I mean, UC really, I don't want to say dominated that game, but they own that game to a large degree. They couldn't finish off drives, you know, the block field goal, somehow putting Evan Prater as a blocking fullbacks, the damnedest thing I've ever seen in my life. Dumbest, dumbest thing I've ever witnessed. I mean, what, what are we doing here? And unfortunately though, I think the unfortunate part, and that maybe the, the part that would scare me as a UC fan is you saw the Emory Jones that I've seen at times, folks. Yeah. I mean, that's just what he does.
0: Yeah, I, he really struggled throwing the ball downfield in this game. You saw that there were multiple times where they had a receiver streaking wide open, would have been an easy touchdown, and he just completely missed. I am not like kind of missed him, he missed him by five to ten yards on the throw. It was, it was ugly. I mean, he, you are right that he struggles to throw the ball downfield. He's, it seems like he's running their offense, getting them into things and making the quick reads well enough, making some athletic plays. But when it comes to forcing the ball down the field, they do not have much of a passing game. And yeah. I'll also say that the red call or the red zone play calling was an absolute disaster. It was a disaster. I have no idea what they were trying to do.
1: I don't either. I mean, honestly, you are a big 12 school and I know you don't probably have all big 12 players at the moment. Right. But you've got fully capable players um, that can line up and should line up against the max school and say, here we come. You ain't stopping it.
0: Yeah. Well, and uh, the other thing to add insult to injury here, Pitt lost seventeen to six to a bad West Virginia team last week. So now you look back at that win from week two, where you're thinking, "Oh, that's that's a nice win for this UC team. That might, you know, might be able to parlay that into something." Uh, it looks like this Pitt team's really going to struggle too. So maybe that win wasn't as good as we were originally thinking.
1: That that said, though, and and that's where this is such an interesting game. it would have been so much more fun, it's still going to be fun. It's the Big Twelve opener. It's your first game as a Big Twelve member against a Big Twelve team. It's a perennial national powerhouse. Um, coming in that's got national championship pedigree and all those things. So that's really cool. Yeah. Um, it just would have been so much cooler to see an undefeated UC versus an undefeated Oklahoma, what that would have meant. Now, this game to me is a hell of a litmus test because I think Oklahoma, I'm not sure they're, they're, they've are they turned the corner yet, but they look to be really, really good. Um, you know, they always have dudes and and, and Dylan Gabriel's playing really well. Again, I, some of that's schedule related. I realize that as long as you don't get your teeth kicked in, I I would feel more bullish about this team based on what I've seen from the rest of the big 12. Baylor sucks. Iowa state sucks. Oklahoma state sucks. West Virginia's meh. I mean, you've got all those dudes still on your schedule. So as long as you don't lay an egg or suffer a bunch of injuries or a lot of red flags come out of this game, which some of them came out of the Miami game, this still could be a bowl team when all said and done. And I didn't believe that when the year started, I thought this was a five win team at best. I think now even again, I don't think they. I don't think they beat Oklahoma by any stretch of the imagination. I just as long as it doesn't look ugly, you can say, "Hey, listen, we're still good. We're still gonna win seven games." And honestly, your first year in the Big Twelve, you go win seven and go to a bowl. Good.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think if you play Oklahoma tough here, and I being tough, be within ten points. I'd say something like that. Um you feel like you can play with almost anyone in the big 12 this year. That's, that's how I feel about Oklahoma. I agree with you. I don't think they're the best, but I do think that they're competitive with anyone in the conference at bare minimum and um definitely one of the better teams in the conference. So this is a big game for UC to, to bounce back and answer. But then this is a tough stretch in general. They go from this game to a 1015 game at BYU coming up next yeah. Friday and BYU just beat Arkansas last yeah, week. snowball.
1: It. Yeah and you don't want this to start snowballing right where it started with a game you should have won then a team that's just better than you kicks your teeth in and then you go to BYU in a tough environment and suddenly it's on a short uh, week two and two and O's two and oh which should have been three and oh becomes two and three.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm looking at that that gets concerning for them. So this is a big game. We'll see what happens. Um, moving on to Kentucky. They beat Akron soundly 35-3. to They'll play at Vandy on Saturday. Skinny, I'm not sure you can have a more unimpressive 3-0 and start with an average margin of victory of over 24 points right. than UK has. But at the same time, they have three wins, and they're winning games by an average margin of over 24 points. So... What do you do with that heading into this Vandy game?
1: It's a great question. I think Devin Leary's been great. I I really do. I mean, he he made a great throw um, over top of a defender to uh, Tavion Robinson for a touchdown that's as good a throw as you're ever going to see. How about the highlight,
0: Sacksy escaped?
1: (laughs) Yeah, the the, the highlight play was obviously him having a defender draped on him and he dumps it off to Ray Davis who, you know, circles the field for a long touchdown. So I'll start with I've been impressed with Devin Leary. But to your point, and you pointed this out in the opener, it's still ongoing he got to get Dane Key and Barry on Brown on the same page with him. And I'm more leaning towards it's those two dudes and not Devin Leary.
0: I I agree. Especially Dane Key seems to have something going on this year. I'm not sure if he's not running the right routes, if he doesn't know the playbook, if he's just a little bit of a hothead. But I'm sure you saw this. They said that Liam Cohen went from on the field to up in the coach's box for the last game against Akron. And his his reasoning for that is because, to me, what his excuse sounded like was... Well, that, but it also sounded like it's getting a little too hot down on the field between everyone. He said it was better to just remove myself, uh, be removed from all the emotion that's down there, and just think through it logically. That sounded to me a lot like Cohen and the receivers and him have all maybe been doing a little bit of bickering down there, and they just had to cool things down and get away from them all. And, and, and obviously it obviously worked out. They The offense looked good in the Akron game, I would say.
1: It's funny. Most offensive coordinators at, at all levels want to be up in the booth and want to be removed from that, especially if they're play callers. Now, Zach Taylor is a head coach and a play caller. He's down on the field, but some of it is because of all that emotion. Defensive coordinators always say they want to be down there because they want to see the look in their guys' eyes when they come off the field. Are we hitting them in the mouth? Or are we not hitting them in the mouth? So it's always funny how that, that works out. The defensive guys want to be down there and see the emotion. The offensive guys are like, man, let me clear my head. I got to make this second and eight play call in the span of about eight seconds here. So give me a second to think about some of this stuff. So maybe that's good. You know, I was thinking about this a little bit this morning about Kentucky and kind of, you know, it's funny. They only ran like 47 offensive plays and they had 450 yards. So they averaged nine yards a play and you should, it's a max school. It's a lower. It's Listen, Miami's at the upper echelon at the max. So there's different Mac levels, obviously Akron's at the bottom of the end and Kentucky did what you should to them. Same with ball state. although that wasn't as overly impressive. And and I've wondered why they haven't leaned on the run game more. And the more I thought about this, I wondered if it was, listen, we know we can run it against these Jamokes, but when we get in the SEC play, let's take some carries off Ray Davis. Let's not show our hand of what we want to do in the run game as much. And when we get into league play, we will run the ball more. And that's what I'm kind of hanging my hat on is we see a little bit more of the run game um, and see a little, you know, see Ray Davis get 20 touches there because you know, in theory, you're like, well, why aren't you feeding? And I thought this too. feed Ray Davis more. You're running it effectively. It sets up your play pass game and all those things. But do you want to show a lot of stuff off your play pass game at this point? Or do you want to just be kind of vanilla and go, let's let Dane spin it. Let's run a few play passes. Let's not lean as much on the run game as we probably should and could. Let's save Ray some of the wear and tear because we got to go through the SEC. We got to go through eight SEC games here. So let's put it on him when that counts. And I'm kind of my hanging my hat on that a little
0: bit. I hope I'm right. Uh, you know, what? that's a good point. That's not something I hadn't really thought of as much, but looking at the way they've called these games, it does feel like they have held something back to some extent. It feels like they haven't taken some things that they've clearly been setting up and clearly look to be open. A, a lot of just kind of um, like, like you said, y- we know we can run the ball. We know we can do this effectively. So let's try to get something else established right yeah, now. Maybe it was
1: just get play. Devin established. Maybe a lot of us just let, let's let Devin get established here.
0: Yeah. I, I think there might be something to that. All right, Ohio State, number six in the country right now. They finally got the offense back on track. They beat Western Kentucky 63 to 10 this past week. The big game is this week, though. They have number nine, Notre Dame up on Saturday. Skinny, what do you have about the the Buckeyes, this offense, Kyle McCord taking over as full time quarterback and the Notre Dame matchup?
1: Yeah. So when it when they when Western scored that touchdown to make it 14 to 10, I I wasn't I wasn't worried they were going to lose, but I was like, what, what, why can't they get out of their own way here at the moment? They're not running. Well, all of a sudden, the run game started to click. Western helped them by the idiot coach going forward on fourth and how many ever times in that first half that turned. I mean, honestly, if they could have got out of the half 21 to 10, it, it was going to wind up probably 42, 17, something. It was whatever. Um, but he literally it was almost like, yeah, but we came here to win. Well, good for you, dumbass. I mean, he <laughs> literally just gave them 20. What do you know what I think they scored 21 points in the span of a minute. Did yeah, it run? was
0: so fast. We were at Fountain like Square. That. We had gone to Oktoberfest. We were at Fountain Square, and there were Ohio State fans watching the game at whatever the restaurant we were at. And uh, it was like, oh wait, every five seconds we kept turning around. They score again. Damn, you're. I mean, it yeah. literally was three touchdowns in a matter of like two minutes of game. No, I
1: Rick, I live a five minute drive from the Kroger liquor store. I went up to get some 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 libations for the night for the Kentucky game. I As swear, in the time I went up, went in, came back to my car, got home, I
0: heard three touchdowns on the radio. <laughs> no, that's definitely how it happened. I remember that vividly from Saturday. What do you think about this Notre Dame matchup?
1: I think it's a great one. I mean, you know, Sam Hartman, I think, has made made Notre Dame a team you better take notice of. Um, yep. They run it great. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously an established college quarterback. I'm not sure he's got many NFL bona fides, but at the college level, he's really good. Uh, the defense has played pretty well. It's a great test for both because I think for Notre Dame, it's okay. Are we ready to take the next step with this quarterback? Cause he gives us the chance to do that. And for Ohio state, it's okay. Here's the first legit opponent we play. How are we going to respond? I think the Western game was a nice confidence boost. I believe in this defense, even though they gave up that, that drive to make it 14 to 10. I think in the first three games, this defense has played really, really well for Ohio state. Again, you should, you should overmatch the three opponents you played, but they, they were dominant at times. So, I mean, this is this is as good a game and as as good a matchup as you're going to get outside of a one versus two.
0: Yeah, for Notre Dame, it is a true test for their offense that they are going to face a defense that I think is elite or at least very close to it this year. I I think Ohio State is very legit on that side of the football. And the other side, I actually think, you know, the last few years we've talked about how, how Ohio State, it's almost like they're okay with. Given up a touchdown or two early to their opponent because they wanted to get you into the the track meet style of game where they're we're going to trade touchdowns and score in the 40s or 50s. This year, I don't think that's the case with this Ohio State team. I think they need to establish the run more so than they've done in the first few games, control the clock a little bit, keep the ball away from Notre Dame so the score... I don't think they want to get into trading touchdowns in this matchup this year. I think they want to let their defense win this game, and so I think they'll have to lean on the run a little bit more than they have so
1: far. And, and the other huge implication... The loser of this game, it's possible, runs the table the rest of the way, right? Yeah. And so the winner of this game could also lose a game along the way where both of these teams wind up 11 and 1 ish. Well, what's your tiebreaker going to be potentially if it comes down to college football playoff time? That's, that's how big this game is.
0: It's huge. I mean, it's, it's so much fun. Last week was really a bad week for college this football matchups. This week is so good. And that is the, the cherry on top. On Saturday night, so we'll talk a little bit more about that here as we get into our betting picks. Let's take a look at where we're at. You are five. You were five and three last week, which puts you at twelve and eight overall. And by the way, your four-team teaser with Buffalo, Atlanta, Jacksonville, and Tennessee cashed easily. Two of your underdogs in that Atlanta and Jacksonville won outright. So, uh, nice call there on your teaser pick. I went four and four. I'm nine and eleven overall. Uh, Florida State did not cover. In fact, they barely beat Boston Ooh, College. They had a
1: scare, had a real yeah.
0: scare. Yeah, they won 31 to 29. They were 26 and a half point favorites. That was my favorite pick of the week. It did not work out well. So, uh, Saturday at noon, skinny, we've got Oklahoma at Cincinnati. Oklahoma is a 14 and a half point favorite. 57 and a half is the total. And of course, I-, I mentioned this before we have no allegiance to any sports book, but we do use DraftKings lines here. So, if you're as betting becomes legalized in Kentucky as well. If you're trying to figure out where we're getting these lines from, it is DraftKings Sportsbook.
1: Yeah. I want to, I, I want to think UC covers that number, but, I, I, Oklahoma's defense looks better. I know. Again, they've played Tulsa, SMU, and Arkansas State, and made Butch Jones cry. Literally, made him cry <laughs> in that not when they beat him seventy-three to nothing. But they gave up. They had. A, they pitched a shutout. Gave up eleven and gave up seventeen. And and you can say, well, man, they gave up seventeen to Tulsa. They also scored sixty-six. So there are a crap ton of possessions in in all of these games. The SMU defensive performance I thought was really good. So I think. And Brent Venables is known as a defensive guy. Came from Clemson as a coordinator. Um, that's kind of been the bugaboo. That was the bugaboo with Lincoln Riley, right? I mean, he had all of those offensive firepower, and they'd always find a way to screw up a game and lose 45 42. I think this Oklahoma defense is much, much better. Um, the offense with Dylan Gabriel, he's 66 of 80 on the year. And again, I, the caveat is it's Tulsa, smooth and, 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 uh, arkansas state yeah but
0: completing 80 something percent of your passes is insane, insane.
1: <laughs> it's insane his backup is either 13 of 15 or 14 of 16 i can't remember i mean think about those two dudes combined they're like 80 of, of 95
0: a- as a team they are completing like 83 percent of their passes which is number one Ooh. in the country obviously i saw that when i was looking through team stats earlier yesterday and i was like what the hell is going on there
1: yeah and this uc defense we thought was going to be the strength and it it, it you know I don't know if the second half of the pit game suddenly showed vulnerabilities, and then Miami on the first play hits the big touchdown, and they end up putting up thirty-one. And and I, yeah, I I'd love to have UC cover. I I think it'd be so. It's going to be such a fun atmosphere, and and uh, it's going to be as cool as you've had around here in a while. Um, and I say that knowing what what they did to get to a to a college football playoff. But I, I got to go Oklahoma. My head says Oklahoma thirty-five, UC seventeen. So Oklahoma and the under. In that one for
0: me. Okay. Oklahoma and the under for skinny, by the way, you mentioned Butch Jones. He's at Arkansas state. Does he do rep the AS now? Or how, how does he do that? It's a great question.
1: Work? Is he chopping wood? What's he does? He is he busy brick by brick in? Is he, is he holding the rope? I just know he's a clown. He's just a clown.
0: <laughs> uh, Oklahoma, another crazy stat from them. And again, I know it's a couple of outlier games early in the season. Like this, but they have the highest margin of victory in the country right now at 46.3 points per game. I'm going Oklahoma 42, Cincinnati 21. So Oklahoma and the over for me. Uh, Saturday at noon, we've got Kentucky at Vanderbilt. Kentucky is a 14-point favorite. The total is 50 and a half. Skinny, what do you got here?
1: Uh, So, like I said, I think Kentucky's held some things back, especially in the run game. Ray Davis transferred from where, Rick? Where did Ray Davis come from?
0: Vanderbilt, skinny. Vanderbilt.
1: And and Kentucky owes them from last year. That's correct. Um, Vandy's also really banged up. They haven't gotten off to a very impressive start defensively. UNLV just put 40 points on them. Um, I, I think Kentucky, it's right for Kentucky. It's funny, you know, Kentucky won ugly over Akron and actually still covered 26 and a half. So, I think Kentucky rolls in this one. I really do. I, 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 this is going to be my, I don't have my teaser bet of the week. This is going to be my bet of the week as well. So I'm doubling down. I'm going to go Kentucky 41, Vandy
0: 10. All right. So that is Kentucky and the over just over at 51. The total is 50 and a half. You took them at 51. So Kentucky and the over which skinny, we could not be more in sync here. I, I love Kentucky. I love the over in this game. 50 and a half feels very low for a Kentucky team that's been putting up points without really playing at their best yet. And again, you add in the Ray Davis thing where he's going to want to do well against his former team. You add in Kentucky having lost to Vanderbilt last year when they should have. You add in Vanderbilt has lost its last two games to Wake Forest and UNLV and just stinks. It looks like a bad Vanderbilt team, which is saying something by their standards. They're also banged up. They've got all types of injuries going on. Tons of injuries. They're 0-4 against the spread. All four of their games have gone over the total so far, and this is their lowest total yet at 50.5 points. I, I love Kentucky. I love the over here. I'm going Kentucky 35, Vanderbilt 14, so I'm not even as confident as you, but I'm, I'm with you. Those are my favorite picks of the week, both of them. Too. I'm going uh, to pick them separate, but I'm also going to parlay them as my favorite bet. There you go. All right, Saturday at 7.30, we've got here Ohio we go. State. At Notre Dame, the Buckeyes are a three-point favorite in this game. The total is 55. Skinny, what do you got on the game of the week?
1: Yeah, th- th- this is one where I, I I think if this was played later in the year, I'd probably go with Ohio State. But I'm just bullish on this Notre Dame offense because of the balance they have between Hartman and the running game. I think it's going to be a hell of a game. Um, I think it's going to be a, kind of a shootout as we go along, even though I like this Ohio State D, And I say shootout, and this is not going to sound like a complete shootout score, but I think they're going to go up and back. I'm going to go Notre Dame 28 Ohio State
0: 27. Oh wow. All right, so that will be uh, Notre Dame obviously covering since they were a 3 point underdog and the total was 55 so you're right on you're on a push there.
1: Okay, well. all right, so let, let's go let's go Notre Dame 29 Ohio State 28. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. I like that. So keep keep it with the 1 point victory and so now you go Notre Dame and the over which will give us a little separation here because I like Notre Dame as well. I, I, I'm i with you. I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's back and forth in the end and Notre Dame just has more offensive firepower. They have a more experienced veteran quarterback who's who's making more plays right now. So I'm going to go. It's home. And it's at home. I'm going to go Notre Dame 27, Ohio State 24, Notre Dame and the under. And if Notre Dame does not win this game, then I am Fully in on the narrative that Notre Dame will never win a big game against these elite teams when it matters. And I will never bet on them ever again in this type no, of situation. Fair. Cause that's how I've been for the last few years. I do not trust them at all, but this year I just think there's something different at the quarterback's spot because they have a legit
1: quarterback. I think that's the big difference. And they haven't had that guy in the, in the past they've had some names, right? Names, but they haven't had a legit guy like this guy.
0: That's exactly right. All right. Monday night football, eight 15, of course the Rams, are in Cincinnati at Paycor Stadium. The Bengals are a one-and-a-half point favorite. The total is 43-and-a-half.
1: So you know that everybody's gone bonkers on this, right? Because it opened Rams at what, like six-and-a-half? I mean, the half. Bengals at six-and-a-half? Yes. And it's gone quickly to one-and-a-half, which, what does Vegas already know? No offense to that. I don't think they know a damn thing. But I think a bunch of gamblers are going, you know what, even a compromise, Joe Burrow, is 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 worth betting against at the moment. So I think that's why you've seen the line go the way it is. I don't think they know anything. That's not here to tell you that, Burrow doesn't play because I don't know nobody knows I don't think Joe Burrow even knows at this moment but I I don't think it's suddenly Vegas knew something I think it's just gamblers going hey you know what I don't think he's going to play and even if he does he's compromised and so I'm going to take almost a full touchdown so I get it and the line has quickly gone down as I said I'm going to go Bengals in an ugly one I'll go Bengals 23 20 McPherson from 42 at the gun
0: All right, so that is just under the number two. The total was 43 and a half. You've got it at 43. So Bengals and the under is your pick here. Again, one and a half is the spread. So it's funny because I don't feel all that confident in the Bengals right now. We don't know what's going on with Joe Burrow. I want to think they find a way to win this game. And if you think that, then you probably think they're also going to cover the spread because it's only one and a half. So it's a weird thing where it's like, I don't feel very confident in the Bengals, but I'm still going to end up picking them here. I'm going to say Bengals 27, Rams 21. So Bengals end the over for me.
1: So here's the funny part. So for both of us, we're making this pick blindly without knowing about Burrow, right? Yeah, and that's the and I, Well, hear me out. I think that's where even gamblers. So you pick a six-point spread blindly knowing it. I pick a three-point spread blindly knowing it. The opening spread was six and a half. We would have both had the Rams covering at six and a half, right?
0: Correct. And, and that's exactly why when I saw that six and a half number, it's like, I don't care. If the, even if the calf thing did not happen at the end of that game at all and we didn't hear anything more about Joe Burrow's calf injury since the beginning of the year before the season started I would still feel like six and a half is way too much right now Agreed. with the way the Bengals have played the last two yeah. weeks so I, I would think the Bengals will find a way to win this game but I don't think that they're going to blow anybody out yet at this point and, and I think they're still trying to get the offense on track uh, by the way the Rams are the second biggest overachievers against the spread so far covering by an average of 11 points per game the Bengals Second worst in that regard, losing against the spread well, by an average of 13 and a half points. And of course, those are two outlier games for both sides. Timeout. Timeout.
1: I, I know what Sean McVay said, and I'm going to take him at his word of why he kicked the field goal, but they also don't cover if they don't kick that field goal either. That's true. Oh, and the, literally, the last play of the game.
0: Yeah, you're talking in their in their last game, the second game. Yes, the first week, they, they covered the spread by a billion points. That's it. why, it's, yeah, that's they why were, they're way up there. So. Yeah, they were not I a mean, dog in week one. In in fairness to them, they have definitely played much better yeah. than people yeah. expected coming Agreed. into the season, especially offensively. Yeah, no doubt. All right, and I mean, if you have another pick, I know we both said the Kentucky game was our favorite. I'm going Kentucky. I, yeah, okay. I,
1: this is probably as much much heart as anything else. But I try to do this with my head, it just feels like they are ripe to blow Bandy out of the water.
0: I love that game. Now, Kentucky seems to always lose a game that they shouldn't yep. lose early in the season and last year that was the vanderbilt game hopefully that won't be the case this year i just feel like because they lost to vandy last year there's no chance it'll happen this year yes that's my thing all right ask skinny anything skinny what is the coolest thing you ever got to cover or attend in your career that was from your uh your boy strawberry ice
1: um that's a that's a good question because i've covered a lot of cool things um i always enjoyed covering the derby the kentucky derby i covered a bunch of those i i, I probably would go with that um I love state high school basketball tournaments. Having covered those, I covered them both in Kentucky and Ohio. I covered a Elder back in the early '90s, winning a championship with row, winning some championships in the '90s with my man George Jackson as the coach. And uh, I covered uh, LaSalle uh, winning one with in the late '90s with Craig Connolly, who played at NKU, and Dave Estercamp, who played at Bowling Green. Those were fun teams. So I always enjoy. I, I'm a, obviously as a high school basketball coach. I love high school sports. I love high school basketball. Uh, those were always fun. But to me. The Derby is just a different animal. Just the fact of being down there all week, being on the backside, all the different stories you get to pick from. Literally, you can go to any barn on any given day and find a cool story. Um, so, yeah, to me, that 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 that's always a lot of fun. I know people would say, you know, going and covering a Super Bowl or something. The, the workload of that just can kill you, kill you. I swear. So there's, is it fun? Sure, but it can kill you.
0: Yeah, sounds about right. Uh, this is from David. He says, if Skinny could play a role in any film, what would he choose? Of course, I would be Indiana Jones, no hesitation.
1: Um, you're going to hate me. You are going to hate me. It's going to be one of two. I'm either going to play the Gene Hackman coach character in Hoosiers or his drunk assistant.
0: The drunk assistant would be funny. What's that guy's name? Uh, shoot, Is it Shooter? Shooter. Shooter. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah. I was thinking. Shooter. Yeah. You would be a great Shooter. Yeah. You would have yeah, redefined I would actually like that movie if you were a shooter. Yeah. That's you would that's be probably, hysterical in that role.
1: That's probably right up my alleyway. I'm not gonna lie. Um that I is. thought about Ollie, but I don't wanna I don't want to shoot free throws underhand, although I do it. I actually that's that's one of my go to moves when I play kids and horse of going to the foul line and shooting an underhand foul shot.
0: Oh, that's smart. Yeah, yeah, the younger generation isn't ready nope, for that. No clue. They've totally. never seen the granny shot. That's just completely disappeared. They don't yeah, know. Yeah, it has. Totally. Yeah. totally. Rick, Rick Barry, is that who it was? Rick Barry was great at 90 yeah. plus percent foul shooter doing that. Yeah, they don't know about that. Nope. Uh, thoughts on if you should leave spiders alive in your house to eat other bugs?
1: Yeah, spiders scare me. I, I'm a, I'm not a spider and snakes guy, so they those things, even the little ones bug me. I let them go usually if they're not bugging me. Really? Like if one's crawling towards me, like it's, in your in your house, you let them go. Yeah, because usually I find them around like the, the in the bathtub as they're like scurrying to get to the to the drain. Like you make it to the drain in time, bro. I'm gonna let you go. I'm good with you. You can go to the get to the drain. You're fine. I don't really have a spider issue in my house, so it really isn't a big deal. You see one on maybe a cage, you get a daddy long leg here and there, and they just freak me out. And I, I as long as he's not coming towards me, I, I'm 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 gonna let you go, bro. I'm, I'm gonna leave you alone.
0: Yeah, we don't have a lot of spiders either, but I'm not sorry. We, we we're merciless in this house with animal our uh, insects. If you're in here, you're getting squashed. I'm sorry. You yeah, belong the outside. Bug,
1: the ones that bug me, they're not centipedes, Rick. They're, they kind of look at their long little, the long black dude ads. They scare the living bejesus out of me because I don't know what they are. They're dead every time.
0: I'm with you on that. I do not like those things. I don't even like squishing those things and picking them up after. I don't either. Those things I'm it's are going to
1: bite me, and it's poisonous. It's probably not. I'm probably irrational in my thought, but I'm with you. I get a paper towel for that. I don't even get a tissue for that.
0: Same. It's too much squishiness too. Yes. After you crunch yeah. them, they leave stuff yep. everywhere. I don't like that. And yeah. then those stink bugs. Fortunately, I don't have them at this house, but my last See, I don't house. Have
1: just, yeah, I, I know of them.
0: constantly finding a way inside my screens. I don't know That's how they awful. did it. Yeah. yeah we
1: we had that like six or seven years ago um and we actually were able to, to exterminate them pretty quickly and that was a good thing because yeah that that's a bad we have that's really we've lived in this house for 30 years and never had that other
0: than once if you had to disappear and start a new life somewhere else where would you go so I was talking to a friend of mine about this yesterday it's funny I, th- I don't know why this that's, question
1: came that up is this. weird yeah it is weird so he and I are of that age and ilk of I love this country, but I, I'm, I'm puzzled about where it's heading eventually.
0: Wait, can and, you say your friend's initials so I can see if they're the ones who asked this question? C-M. Okay, no, never mind. Okay. Um, And he said,
1: yeah, he goes, you know, I'm not as close to retiring as you are, because the more of this thing's going on in this world, in this country, he goes, I'm just thinking about just chucking it and moving to Australia. And I said, me too. I said, I've thought about the exact same thing of that's where I'd like to go. I said, my, my thing is, and it's an irrational fear, because probably if you lived in like Sydney or Melbourne, this wouldn't be the case. But the spider and snake issue, the snake issue there. I mean, <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm escaping whatever goofiness is happening here to have to deal with snakes. No.
0: Yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, we have people who worry what about, about Ireland. Them? What about Ireland? I don't know. See, I'm not a a cultured guy. I'm not a guy who knows about other countries. If you don't have a Chipotle near me, I don't know what to do. So I stay pretty much right around here. NKU's basketball has taken me farther west with our trips to Arkansas and last year out to Washington State than I've ever been in my life. So I'm the wrong person to ask about where to disappear to. I don't have a lot of good ideas or what to expect. (laughs) But I do know Australia's wildlife seems like a legit concern, not an irrational one. Yes,
1: yeah, but I mean, but they have two very cosmopolitan cities, and maybe more. I mean, you have Sydney and Melbourne.
0: That doesn't mean you won't get punched by a joey. I yeah. mean,
1: well, you know, I've said it for years, and I, that's probably where I'm going to retire. And I, I don't even say this with resignation in my voice. Ludlow's it, man. It's where I'm going. Yes.
0: <laughs> Dis- <laughs> by the way, you could also disappear to Ludlow. You no one would ever much look for you there. Yes,
1: yes. correct.
0: Uh, I think. I think you just go somewhere to South America, r- no, really, no. right? I mean,
1: not a chance. Too many drug cartels. Not, a, no, 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 no. I feel no, like
0: no. I'm. I feel like I you, would join a. Cartel your head would be chopped off within two weeks. I disagree. I think I would fit in well in the cartel life if I was starting a new life. It wouldn't be a long life. Well, get away from the politics and everything in our country, and just go to where they're. You know, it's kill or be killed. Uh, what's the harshest criticism you've ever, this is a good question. What's the harshest criticism you've ever received skinny. Um, that's a good question. I mean, as far as in what regard I, they did not leave any. I mean, is there some, I guess, is there something someone's ever said that stuck with you to this point? That's how I would take this. Um,
1: I've had many that say I have a face for radio and, and a, and a voice for something else. And that's probably true. And I'm good with that. It doesn't bother me because this is what it is.
0: Yeah, that's fine. You never had like a coach cut you from your JV team like Michael Jordan or anything? No one told you you wouldn't um, make it in life? Or- I,
1: it's funny. I, I did get cut from my, my my baseball team my freshman year and then and made the last three years. But I kind of deserved it. It wasn't harsh criticism. It just was I had a terrible tryout and they didn't know me very well and off I went. So I will say that stuck with me enough to where I worked my ass off to where I clearly made it the next year and became a pretty good player by the end of it. Nice. So it wasn't really criticism. I just, it just was one of those ones where believe it or not, I was self-evident to realize, bro, you were terrible this, these couple of days and you better fix it and get better. or You're not going
0: to play. Has anyone ever said anything to you about professionally, whether it's like uh, an appearance thing or a way you sound thing or something you do on air that, that's made you think about it?
1: No, because I mean, I mean, I, I, you are what you are appearance wise. I wish I could change. I wish my voice were deeper and better. It is my voice. And I, I don't apologize. It just is what it is. I live with it. Apparently I've been able to work long enough in in these mediums to where it doesn't affect my, my, my bosses that much.
0: I'll, I, I agree with that for the most part um, on my end, but I I did get a guy with the, I think it was the first year we were doing this podcast actually that emailed in and said, I sounded like I was on um, speed or something else. It was just like, he went on, it was a long email. He was just like, you talk way too fast. You, all this thing. It was just criticizing how quickly I talked and all that. I, mean, I was like, I went back and listened and I was like, this dude's dead right. Like he's so right. And yeah, I still I can't stop from doing that.
1: Yeah. I've had that criticism of talking too fast. I mean, when I, when I would anchor, um, I would always, you know, you'd have like a 30 second window for highlights and it always felt like I was trying to cram an extra stat or two in and I would fly. And I got a couple of emails on that. If you talk too fast, I'm like, yeah. And, and what, Yeah. I mean, if you don't like it, flip the channel.
0: I tried to change it up for a little bit, and then I just realized that whenever I get talking naturally and get excited about something, get into something, I start talking faster. And so that's just who I am, and that's what it is.
1: So so, so it's funny. Dan Horde and I have had this conversation because I, I don't like my voice. I wish it was better. I have a better PA voice. When I do PA, for some reason, I'm able to go a little bit lower. Maybe it's just because it's a slower. Yeah,
0: you're speed, really like good at PA.
1: Calm, calm play-by-play. Which is hard. I think PA it, is hard. Well, I see I play my plays harder. But anyway, so no offense. Dan doesn't have a very good voice and he self recognizes that. But it's so distinctive
0: that that makes it good, in my opinion. I agree. I I, Dan's is so recognizable now, especially since he's taken over this city doing Bengals and UC to where it's like it's become a voice of our city. Yes. And Dan is just so damn good good at the call and the moment and handling all the stuff and still sounding clear. I think Dan's really, really good. Oh, I'm a big fan,
1: but we've, we've had this conversation before though, about it. And it's, it's funny. Hell, you probably are going to have Al Michaels tell you he doesn't like his or Jim Nance, Ah, Jim Nance loves his voice. Hello. (laughs) friend. Yeah. I mean, he he loves definitely and loves his, should, his voice. And he should love his voice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But there, I mean, that's few and far between broadcasters who like listening to themselves. No one likes listening to themselves. No, correct. I will say, you know, Gus Johnson has a great
1: voice. I, I got to give a shout out here. So, uh, like Gus is in town to do the, uh, the UC game. He and Joel Klatt, and they were, I was watching a little bit flipping around the dial, like we all do on Saturday. And, uh, he was doing the Penn state Illinois game. And he said, said, uh, Joel, have you been to Cincinnati? He goes, yeah, a couple of times, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, yeah, I've been there a lot. Gus said, I've been there a lot to do Bengals games. I got to take you to a, to a special place. I'm like, oh, here comes the Skyline Chili reference. Here it comes. He actually called out knockback gnats downtown of where he wants to take Joel Cladd. How about that for wow, a Wow,
0: he's a smoked wings guy. Yeah. Gus. I know. Yeah. I like it. One time Gus, uh, well, he's done a lot of games at the Centaur Center because yeah, of yeah, the FS1 yeah, contract. Yeah. And um, he was, the few times that I bumped into him, like in the media room stuff, he was super, super nice, like over the top nice. Good. So, that's a yeah. good thing. Uh, what do you guys think about tipping for carryout orders at what are essentially fast food places? Think coffee, sub shops, burritos, etc. Yeah.
1: I'm sorry. I don't believe in that. I mean, I, I think the carryout portion of the program is, is you make it, you put it there and I take it home and you really done nothing other than make my product. I mean, that's really all you've done. And I don't tip for the product. I tip for the service, right? I mean, that's part of the sit-down thing. Is unless they're sharing tips with the cooks, and I don't think many do. It's usually the waiters and waitresses that are keeping those tips. Some places may pool that stuff, but I worked in that industry back when I was in college, and um, you know, I, I I made pizzas at one point for the roses, didn't get tips, and then I was a delivery driver, and that's where I made my tips. So, right. yeah, I'm sorry. I I, I, I don't. I now I will tell you, I did that a little bit. In COVID, when you couldn't go in and they'd have to carry it to the car, and I'd give them a couple of bucks, three or four bucks, and plus they weren't getting tips inside anyway because they weren't open, so I felt they deserved that. But now that we're back open, no, nah, I'm sorry, no.
0: Yeah, I, I hate talking about this because it's like anytime you say anything about not wanting to tip, people are like, oh, you're a jerk, whatever. But it's like at some point – I'm an over-the-top tipper. I'm a 20 yeah.
1: to 25%er. I have people make fun of me. My, they, my, my inner circle is like they call me Mr. Tipper. I'm like, I'm really not. I just – I feel like if I get the good service, that feels like a fair amount to give that person.
0: Well, and I'm also someone who's, it's not like I'm spending a ton of money on like meals or drinks. Well, typically. Yeah. So right. it's like, to me, another $2 takes this from 25% to right. 30%. And I'm never going to think about those $2 again. So you just throw them on there. So I'm, I'm with you on all that. Right. But the problem is if you want to continue to tip people well, when they actually deserve it, when you're actually getting service, you have to draw a line somewhere. You can't just be tipping extra on everything I mean, you go yeah. to get a sandwich that you're picking up you call you know you order ahead on an app you go in you pick it up and now you got to tip a couple bucks on that because when you yep. slide your card they they slide yep. the thing around and be like how much do you want to tip it's like i that annoys me when i go into like a hothead burrito for instance i just did this the other day got two tacos my total is five dollars and they spin around the thing and it's like do you want to tip and it's like well i don't want to have to say no to you but you shouldn't even be asking me for a tip That's in this situation This is, I don't like that. So that's my answer. I don't do it, but I don't like it either that they ask for it. Yep. All right. That's all we got, Skinny. All right. Good stuff. Appreciate it. Keep the questions coming. We'll be back
1: uh, next Thursday, I do believe. Uh, Again, we did this podcast today or just because of the walking bank schedule and we'll have a lot to talk about in next week's podcast. Hopefully it will be good things, but boy, if not, we got a lot of stuff to unpack at that point. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poker edition presented by Blake, the attorney Major.